0: chapter 7 part a of the delafield affair by florence finch kelly this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 7 part a talk of many things golden prided itself upon being the most american town in the territory but for all its energy and progressiveness it had not developed an ordinary regard for its own safety after the mines which had given it birth had been worked out it became the depot of supplies for the widespread miles of cattle country in the plains below, the mining regions in the mountains above, and the ranches scattered along the streams within a radius of fifty miles. As its importance increased, a railway sought it out, the honor of being the county seat came to it, and the ruthless Anglo-Saxon arrived in such numbers, and so energetically, that its few contented and improvident Mexicans, thrust to one side, sank into hopeless nonentity when lucy bancroft first set upon it the pleased eyes of youthful interest and filial affection it was a busy prosperous place of several thousand souls but it still clung to the gulch wherein had been the beginning of its life and fortune all the houses of its infancy had been built along the stream that sparkled down from the mountains and there the town had tried to stay regardless of the floods that occasionally swept down the canyon during the summer rains at first its growth had been up and down the creek afterward cross streets had been extended far out on either side especially where gradual hill slopes gave easy grades and roads had also been made lengthwise along the hillsides and even on their crests where now a goodly number of homes looked out over the plains and down upon the town filled valley at their feet newcomers gazed curiously at the high sidewalks raised on posts above the level of the thoroughfares asking why if there was such a possibility of flood the people continued to live and do business along the bottom of the gulch. The residents thought the walled sidewalks rather a good joke, a humorous distinction, and laughed at the idea of danger. Lucy Bancroft's eyes grew wide and solemn as she listened to the tale Dan Tillinghurst told her of the first year he was in Golden, years before, when a mighty torrent roared down the gulch, carried away most of the houses, and drowned a dozen souls. But the very next day, he added proudly, the people began rebuilding their houses on the identical sites from which they had been swept. "'Why didn't they rebuild on higher ground?' Lucy asked. "'And aren't you afraid there will be another flood that will destroy all these houses, and perhaps kill a great many people?' "'Oh, there's no danger now,' he assured her confidently. "'The climate's changin'. There's not nearly so much rain as there used to be.' the creek is dry half the time nowadays and in my first years here it never went dry at all just look at these flood marks and he pointed out to her on the side of the brick building that housed her father's bank the lines to which had risen the high waters of each summer she saw that those of recent years were all very low yes he assured her the climate's changin there's no doubt of that there won't be any more floods between Lucy and the sheriff a mutual admiration and good fellowship had arisen, such as might exist between an elephant and a robin. The day after her arrival Tillinghurst had told Bancroft that his daughter was the prettiest piece of dry goods that had ever come to Golden. And if he ever let her pull her freight, he'd sure deserve nothing less than tarin' and featherin' at the hands of an outraged community. Notwithstanding her confidence in the big sheriff, Lucy did not like the idea of living in the gulch and persuaded her father to build their home on the brow of the mesa, overlooking the town from the west. She had no definite fear of the floods, nor, after her first few weeks in the place, did she so much as think of danger from such a source. She liked the sight on the mesa, although it was new and raw and treeless, because it commanded a far-reaching view to the mountains on the west and north and in front, across the town and the valley to the wide gray level of the plains she sat on the veranda of her new home with Miss Louise Dent, telling her friend what pleasure she was taking in its arrangement and direction. At first Daddy didn't want me to do it. He thought it would be too much care and responsibility for me, and that we'd better board. But I said if a girl eighteen years old wasn't old enough and big enough to begin to take care of her father she never would be. And so he gave up. And now, well, you'll see how he enjoys our home." He just beams with happiness every time he comes into the house, and I'm perfectly happy. Daddy is so good, and it's such a pleasure to make things nice and comfortable for him." "'I'm so glad,' Miss Dent replied, "'that you are happy here with him. He has had so many years of lonely wandering, and I know that he has long been looking forward to the time when you and he could have a home together. Your father hasn't had an easy life, dear. You could never guess all that he has been through, but he is a strong and determined man and he's finally won success, just as I always knew he would. That's what I admire in him so much, that he never would give up." She stopped, a faint flush mounting to her brow. Lucy threw both arms around her neck and kissed her. "'Of course, dearie,' she exclaimed. "'You must appreciate my father, for you've known him so long. But it makes me love you all the more to hear you say so, and, oh, dearie, I'm going to make such a beautiful home out of this place.' "'Lucy looked about, her girlish face glowing with proud and pleased proprietorship. "'I know how new and barren it looks now, but just wait till I've been at work at it for a year.' She went on to speak of her plans, asking Miss Dent's advice. In the back yard the gaunt wings of a big windmill gave a touch of ultra-modern picturesqueness and promised the fulfillment of the girl's hope of a lawn and flowers, trees and shrubbery, in the near future.' while a deep veranda ran halfway across the eastern front and around the other two sides. The neutral, gray-green color of the structure melted into the hue of the hills and the surrounding mesa, leaving its barren newness less aggressive. As they talked, Lucy now and then cast a lingering glance down the street that climbed the hill from the town below, and Miss Dent thought that sometimes a shade of disappointment dimmed the bright face for an instant. She was twenty years Lucy's senior although both looks and manner gave the lie to the fact the loving friendship between them was one of those unusual ties between a younger and an older woman which when they do occur are apt to be marked by an overflowing measure of enthusiasm and loyalty louise dent had been the intimate friend of lucy's mother and after her death had given the bereaved girl such love and care and sympathy as had won her instant and ardent devotion and the relationship thus established had grown stronger and closer as the years passed and lucy matured into womanhood the girl's enthusiastic affection had enabled her to find in louise dent intimate friend elder sister and mother combined this complicated feeling making it impossible for her to address the elder woman by either formal title or first name she had soon settled upon "Deary" as a substantive term expressing their relationship and "Deary," miss dent had been to her ever since whether between themselves or among her own intimate friends. As the shadows grew longer, and the hot white sunlight became less vivid, Lucy seemed to grow restless. She rose and moved about the veranda, or ran down into the yard and back upon some trivial errand, each time stopping on the steps to send an inquiring eye down the street. Standing there, when the afternoon was far spent and the fierce westerly wind had ebbed into a gentle breeze, she pointed out to louise the statuesque sapphire mass of mangan's peak against the turquoise blue of the eastern sky and told her of the drive thither and back she and her father had taken a fortnight before and of their call at socorro springs ranch it's an interesting place she went on such a huge ranch why its grazing rights extend more than a hundred miles south away across the mexican border father knows the superintendent very well and we'll get him to drive us out there some day a high color rose in her cheeks she quickly turned away drew her chair well back and sat down there's mr conrad the superintendent coming up the hill now she exclaimed daddy told me at luncheon that he was in town lucy bore her new role of hostess with a dignity so easy and gracious that it surprised louise and made conrad think her more attractive than ever bancroft came a little later and curtis was urged to stay to dinner lucy showed him in her conservatory the collection of cactus plants she had begun to make and listened with eager interest while he gave her information about the growth of the species she already had and told her where she could find others less common she was anxious to have his opinion whether it would be possible to make a hedge of mesquite to replace the wooden paling around the yard he did not know but offered to help her try the experiment they dined on the side veranda, where Lucy, with the help of a screen or two and some plants from her greenhouse, had contrived an out-of-doors dining-room. The high spirits of the two younger people dominated the conversation, as they jested and bantered, laughed, and crossed wits in little wordy sword-plays that called forth applause and encouragement from the others. Lucy sparkled and dimpled, and her color rose, while Curtis's eyes darkened and flashed. Miss Dent, watching them, realized what an attractive young woman Lucy had grown to be, and how much she had blossomed out even in the few months since their last parting. She will have plenty of admirers, the older woman thought, with a little twinge at her heart. Still, she was very young, and it would be a long time yet before she would think of marriage. But if she were to marry and leave her father, he would be very lonely, perhaps. And then she felt her cheeks grow warmer, and hastened to resume her part in the conversation. Louise was pleased with Conrad's face. It seemed full of character, with its broad brow, tanned cheeks, large nose, and well-set chin. She noted especially the strong firm jaw and chin, saying to herself that they betokened a strength of will and constancy of purpose, that foretold success in whatever he might undertake. He was amusing them, with an account of the feud between the wives of the Castleton brothers. "'But don't the men take up the quarrels of their wives?' Louise asked, or allow any feeling to come between them. "'Not in the least, nor does there seem to be any ill-feeling between the ladies. They are always good friends, and the men look upon the whole thing as a good joke. If Mrs. Turner, for instance, cooks up some new scheme for getting the better of Mrs. Ned, she tells her husband about it, he tells Ned, and they laugh over it, and make bets about which will win. Lucy was interested in the Castleton ladies. Conrad said that Mrs. Turner Castleton was considered a great beauty, but that he liked Mrs. Ned, who was half-Mexican, much the better, and thought her the more interesting and charming. She asked if they ever visited the ranch. "'Yes,' said Curtis. "'Ned and his wife come up for a few days every spring. This year they'll be there after the round-up is over and the cattle shipped. Would you like to meet them?' "'All right. We'll arrange it.' While they're there, I'll get up a barbecue, and a baile, and ask some people. You and Miss Dent and your father must all come." The American in the Southwest, arrogant and contemptuous as the Anglo-Saxon always is when brought face to face with a difference in race, a difference in ideals, or a difference in speech, regards the Spanish language with frank disdain and ordinarily refuses to learn it. But where the Mexicans are present in large numbers, as in New Mexico he adopts from the other's language, a good many words which soon supplant their english equivalents an evening party of any sort whether a public dance in the town hall a select affair in the house of a prominent resident or a gathering in the mexican quarter is always a bayil a thriftless insignificant person of either race a paisano while upon coyote the american has seized with ready tongue applying it to any creature human or other for which he wishes to express supreme contempt Miss Dent had to have a bail explained to her, and their talk drifted to the subject of the Mexican people. Bancroft told her the story of the bold theft of Conrad's mare, the chase and capture of Melgares, and the wounding of Gaines. "'It is thought that poor Jack cannot live,' he said in conclusion, "'and the Mexican is held in jail to await the result. If he dies the fellow will be tried for murder.' "'I've heard a queer story about Melgares,' said Conrad, and went on to tell how the Mexican had lost his little ranch. Lucy listened attentively, with indignant eyes fixed on Curtis's face. "'How shameful!' she broke out. "'What a detestable way of getting money. The poor Mexicans—just think of their being turned out of their homes in that way, with nothing to fall back on. I don't wonder poor Melgares became a thief. But he ought to have gone to Santa Fe and stolen Mr. Baxter's horses.' End of chapter 7, part a